please turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to the Gospel of John, chapter 5, verses 31 through 47, will be our sermon text for this morning. As I mentioned at the beginning of our service, we have, we've been in John for a few months now. I don't remember exactly when it was that we started, but um, we are going to pause here in John after chapter 5 and pick up our series in the book of Genesis where we uh, will pick up next week in chapter 11, verse 10, and uh, we'll, we'll look at the whole Abraham story in the book of Genesis, and then when we're done with the Abraham story, we'll come back to John, and we'll uh, do the uh, next part of the Gospel of John. <clears throat> well, before we read our, our text this morning, let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word. Uh, we thank you for your truth, which is unchanged and unchanging. We thank you for your Holy Spirit. Uh, we pray that you would send your spirit, that he would work in our hearts and minds, that he would um, open us up to who you are and uh, to what you have to say to us in the scriptures. Uh, we pray that you would teach us, that you would show us Jesus, and that you would help us uh, to more fully put our faith in him this morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. John chapter 5, and uh, beginning in verse 31 and to the end of the chapter. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John, for the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, and you do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Well, last week we began with a question, uh, who does Jesus think he is? And we saw that Jesus says in John 5, 16 through 30, that he is the son of the father, the son of God, who has a unique, intimate unity with God. And this week we come to another question, why should we take his word for it? Jesus says he is the son of God, but why should I believe him? Now we're actually going to look at three questions this morning that build on each other. Why should we believe Jesus? 
how does the Father testify and what stands in your way? So I'll ask you both to, to look at the evidence and to look at your heart. So first, why should we believe Jesus? Uh, credibility is often in question nowadays, and not just for Jesus. Right? We doubt our politicians. We doubt the police. We doubt the news. Uh, we have such a culture of doubt that we are slow to believe anyone or anything. So why believe Jesus? Interestingly, Jesus begins his comment on this in verse 31 like this. He says, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not deemed true. Jesus is recognizing a principle from the Old Testament that the testimony, uh, can, testimony can only be accepted if it comes from at least two or three witnesses. And Jesus goes so far as to say that even his testimony is only accepted if it is corroborated. Uh, if this were a philosophy class, I might say that this probably says something about the nature of truth itself, uh, but this is not a philosophy class, it's a sermon. Uh, and Jesus then mentions this testimony about himself then from two other sources besides himself. First in verse 32, uh, Jesus seems to be speaking of the Father here. Uh, he'll say in verse 34 that he does not receive testimony from man. And so here he's talking about God the Father, John 5, 32. He says, there is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. Jesus knows because he had been with the Father and was with the Father. He had access to the Father, which his hearers could not have, which is why I think he then immediately turns to John the Baptist in verse 33. You see, they did have access to John the Baptist, and they had heard him. Uh, verse 33, Jesus says, "'You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth.'" John the Baptist had said of Jesus in John 1.29, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the people had, on some level, received John's testimony. Verse 35, Jesus says, He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. For a while. Uh, now, uh, Jesus doesn't need the testimony of men, he says. He has something greater than the testimony of John. Uh, but he points them to John, he says in verse 34, so that they might be saved. If they will only believe John once again, then they will believe in Jesus. You see, Jesus isn't picky about how people come to him, only that they come. And we come all kinds of ways, don't we? Uh, we come from all kinds of places, and God uses all kinds of means to draw us to himself. Every, the story of every single person in this room is different. Our journeys were different as God drew us to himself. Uh, now, I'm not saying that as a church we can do whatever we want to draw people to Jesus, but that God can and does use whatever he wants to draw lost men and women to himself. God had sent John the Baptist to prepare the way. And if Jesus' contemporaries would only believe John, that would be a stepping stone to believing Jesus. Now, it's interesting that uh, Jesus describes John as a burning and shining lamp. Uh, John 1.8 says that John was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. He was not the light, but he, he was a lamp, a, a bearer of the light. And in the same way, Jesus calls us the light of the world in Matthew 5.16. Uh, Jesus, of course, is the light, but when we live for him, we shine with his light. 
And like John, your life and your words can be a burning and shining lamp so that others, by God's grace, might be saved. Now, Jesus does not want us to stop with John. Uh, John's testimony is not ultimate. Uh, I mean, really, would you want someone to judge their whole understanding of Jesus and their whole understanding of Christianity based off of your life? I know I would not. Our lives can be a light, a testimony, a witness, but we must not stop there. And so Jesus turns to the testimony that is greater than John's in verse 36, the testimony of the Father. And so why, why should we believe Jesus? Well, according to Jesus, there are others who corroborated his testimony about himself. John the Baptist was one of those. Uh, but there was an even greater corroboration, as it were, an even greater testimony that was the witness of the Father. And we turn to that now. So second, how does the Father testify? You know, Bertrand Russell is supposed to have said in response to the question, what would you say to God if you die and, quote, you actually found yourself in heaven, standing before the throne, there in all his glory, sat the Lord, what would you say? And Bertrand Russell is supposed to have said, not enough evidence, God, not enough evidence. Now, ironically, that's not actually what Bertrand Russell said, uh, which somehow is funny to me. Um, uh, what he actually said was, uh, in an interview, uh, he said, I probably would ask, sir, why did you not give me better evidence? Which at least is a more respectful answer, I think. But it highlights the question, what evidence is there for Jesus being who he said he is? Why should we believe him? Now, there are some who believe that there is not enough evidence, right, uh, the agnostics in the world. Uh, there are others, religious people, who would say, well, who needs evidence? We take God on faith. We take Jesus on faith. But Jesus says uh, that there is corroborating evidence and that uh, his testimony is not deemed valid without it. Now, I was reading one writer this week who pointed out that even the demand for evidence is evidence of one kind or another, uh, think about it, the demand for evidence assumes that we live in an orderly and logical world, and we are created in such a way that we can comprehend that order and logic. Where does such order and logic come from? What worldview best explains order and logic? One that at its heart has randomness and chance? Uh, not likely. But that's not where Jesus goes. He doesn't say your very question uh, for uh, your very demand for evidence is evidence. Uh, Jesus goes on to corroborating witnesses. Uh, some actually think Jesus is on trial here. Uh, much of the language imitates a trial, but the context doesn't suggest anything official for sure. And at the same time, he is on trial, isn't he? Every day of Jesus' life is a trial of sorts. And here the Judean religious leaders are judging him every moment. And so Jesus calls up his witness, the Father. As some demand evidence, others would say, well, we don't need evidence, we have faith. Uh, I, I would say, actually, God has given abundant evidence, though it's not always the evidence that people are looking for. Uh, the primary evidence here is the testimony of a credible witness, God himself. The Father testifies to the Son. And he's done that in two ways. The first is seen in verse 36. Verse 36, Jesus says, But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. You see, Jesus' miraculous works bear witness to who he is. 
Nicodemus said as much back in John chapter 3, verse 2. He said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus said the same thing earlier in John 5, uh, verse 19. He said, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can, on, can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. And verse 21, For as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. You see, the Father has given the Son authority, verse 27. And with that authority, Jesus brings life. And so his works, especially his miracles, reflect the authority which the Father has given the Son. I mean, who else do you know who has authority to give life and to heal the sick and to raise the dead? And so the works that Jesus does bear witness to who Jesus is. No one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. That was Nicodemus' testimony, and that is the gospel writer John's position as well. And since those works come from the Father... The Father is bearing witness through those works that He has sent the Son to accomplish His work. And so the Father bears witness through the Son's works and through the Father's words. Uh, this is where Jesus spends most of His time. Look at the beginning of verse 37. Jesus says, And the Father who sent me has Himself borne witness about me. Uh, that the Father has borne witness, not just through the Son's works, but through the Father's words, that is, through the Hebrew Scriptures. Uh, now, Jesus' contemporaries, he, he says, have not received the Father's word. Jesus says, His voice you have never heard, unlike Moses and the Israelites at Sinai. His form you have never seen, unlike Jacob who wrestled with God, and Isaiah who had a vision of God high and lifted up. His word, verse 38, you do not have abiding in you, unlike Joshua who meditated on God's law day and night. Now, the Jews of Jesus' day prided themselves on knowing and keeping the Scriptures so how can Jesus so boldly say, you've missed it? For, he says in verse 38, you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You see, he goes on to explain his argument then in verses 39 and 40. He says this, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. And here's Jesus' argument. He say, first, Jesus' contemporaries search the Scriptures. Uh, they know on some level that God's Word brings life, which it does. And so they search, they read, they seek to comprehend what the Bible has to say. And second, the Scriptures are the words of the Father, and they bear witness to Jesus. And note, Jesus is saying that the Old Testament is the Word of the Father, and that through the Old Testament, the Father is bearing witness to His Son. That means the Old Testament is about Jesus. Now, you won't find Jesus' name on every page, but every story leads to him. Whether by promise or prophecy or pattern, every story is preparing us for Jesus. And so uh, Genesis 12, which we will come to uh, shortly in our Genesis series, gives us the promise of all nations being blessed through Abraham and his seed, a promise fulfilled in Jesus, the seed of Abraham who blesses the nations. Isaiah 53 gives us a prophecy of the suffering servant fulfilled in Jesus, the man of sorrows who bears our sin. And David gives us a pattern of a king who must suffer before ascending to the throne. And that's fulfilled in Jesus who goes to the cross before ascending to the right hand of the, fi the, the Father. As one children's story Bible puts it, every story whispers his name. And so Jesus' contemporaries search the scriptures, the scriptures that bear witness to Jesus, but they refuse to come to Jesus and find life. 
And that is how Jesus knows. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen, his word you do not have abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. If you really understood God's word, Jesus is saying, if you really believe it, you would believe me because it points to me. If you really believe the witness of Scripture, you would come to me and find life. If you really believe the Scriptures, you would know that to hear Jesus is to hear the Father's voice. And to see Jesus is to see the Father's form. And to, fo- to receive Jesus is to have God's Word abiding in you. See, the Father bears witness through Jesus' works and the Father's words. Now, that's all well and good, you might say, but how do we know that Jesus did these things? And for that matter, how do we know that the Old Testament is pointing us to Jesus? Well, all of this comes, by, uh, comes to us by way of John's testimony, doesn't it? Uh, you remember John 20, 30 to 31, which I keep going over in this series? Uh, John says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. John is giving his own testimony to the testimony of Jesus and his works and the Father. Now, that might make you uncomfortable. Uh, We have testimony of testimony. Uh, You might write that off as hearsay, secondhand tall tales. I mean, really, isn't that just taking someone else's word for it? Now, instead of taking Jesus' word for it, I'm taking Scripture's word for it, which means I'm taking other people's word for it, that they were moved by God to write these words, and on and on and on. It's a funny thing how testimony works. Uh, I I would bet that at least 90% of what we believe, probably more, we believe based on testimony. Uh, and, And you can take some of the biggest things, right? Like, how do you know the earth is round? You've never seen it from outer space, most of you in this room, I would guess. I've never studied the stars from various places on the earth to calculate the curvature of the planet. I wouldn't even know how to do that. And so how do you know? Uh, You say, well, I've seen pictures. But how do you know those pictures weren't faked? Because someone told you they were taken from outer space and you believed them. You know the world is round because other people have said it's round. They went into outer space, they took pictures, they passed them on to others who passed them on to you. Someone else studied the stars and demonstrated how their visibility from various places on the globe demonstrates the curvature of the earth. You get the point. You don't know the world is round because of personal experience. You most likely know it is round because of the testimony of others, and I think you should believe it, just to be clear. And just about everything you know about the past you know based on the testimony of others. If you weren't there, how do you know what happened? Because someone else was there, and they told a third person who wrote it down in a history book. And really, that gets really personal. How do you know your parents are your parents? And you were there for that, but you don't remember. Right? Unless you personally do the science or unless you were personally present, everything you know about science and history is based on the testimony of others. Now, you might say, but I could do the science if I wanted to. I could do the research if I wanted to, perhaps, but you don't. And most of the time, you don't feel the need to because personal testimony is a perfectly legitimate 
form of evidence, especially when it comes to history, because everything else about history is just an imaginative, imaginative recreation from the relics of the past, which have lasted to the present. It's the testimony of others who were there that helps us put the story together in a legitimate way. Now, I've already mentioned that there are often two types of people, those who say there's not enough evidence, those who feel that we don't need any evidence. I would actually say that there is ample evidence, though perhaps not the kind that you are looking for. Or maybe I should say, perhaps you're looking in the wrong places. Look at the works that Jesus did that had been written down by multiple eyewitnesses. What do you do with that? You can dismiss it, but you're not dismissing it on good grounds any more than those do who reject that the earth is round. Look at the witnesses of the Old Testament written down hundreds of years before Jesus uh, that, that they are pointing to, to a child of Abraham, the suffering servant who would become king. A story perfectly and wonderfully and almost impossibly, except that it's there in black and white on the page, fulfilled in the person of Jesus. What do you do with that? Why should we believe Jesus? Because there were others who corroborated his testimony about himself. John the Baptist was one, but there was an even greater corroboration, the witness of the Father. How does the Father testify? He testifies through Jesus' works by giving him authority to give life and through the Father's words written down in the Hebrew Scriptures, sometimes centuries earlier. Of course, the greatest evidence, the greatest miracle was the resurrection where the father raised his son from the dead, vindicating him before the world. And then eyewitnesses, particularly the apostles, though there were many more eyewitnesses according to history, wrote down what they saw to bear witness to Jesus' resurrection. What do you do with their eyewitness testimony? And that all brings us to then the third question, which is what stands in your way? Some demand evidence, others say there's no need, we have faith. I would say God has given abundant evidence the next question is, why don't we receive it? Now, what stops you from believing the teaching of the Scriptures and the eyewitness testimony of the apostles? And we've looked at at least the kind of evidence that Jesus presents here, the testimony of witnesses. Now we need to look at our hearts. And Jesus gets us started in verse 41. Uh, Jesus says in verse 41, I do not receive glory from people. Uh, Jesus doesn't need our praise. He doesn't want his hearers to misunderstand. He's not seeking fame and notoriety. That's not why he wants them to come to him. It's not to puff up his ego. But he does know that they do not love God. God is not first in their hearts. How does he know that? Well, verses 43 and 44, he says, I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Jesus says they, they cannot believe because they do want fame and notoriety from men. You see, they want people who will flatter them, who will give them something, who will serve their agenda. And now Jesus comes to serve, but not, he doesn't come to serve their agenda. Uh, Jesus came in the name of his Father, speaking on behalf of his Father. And if your question is, well, you know, what can I get from this person, or how can this person boost me, or how can they benefit me, rather than seeking the glory that comes from the only God, rather than loving God and wanting His approval, if you're looking to get something from people, you'll, you'll never believe. Because Jesus doesn't come offering the Father's approval of your life as it is. He doesn't come to serve your agenda. He doesn't come to boost you up in some self-centered way, he comes to bear your sin. 
because your life as it is is not what it should be. He comes to serve you by dying so that in him we might find the Father's approval, not of our life as it is, but of us as we are in Jesus. Remember, Jesus did not come to judge the world, but to save it. And he repeats that here in verse 45. He says, do not think that I came to accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. Moses, that is the books of Moses, the Old Testament scriptures will accuse them. Because, verse 46, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. See, the very book that they hold to as the standard for truth will judge them because they don't listen to what it says. But, verse 47, but if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? You see, if you want to know if Jesus' words are true, look to Moses. Uh, Be open to the teaching of Scripture. Read it not to prove how wrong it really is, but, but read it prayerfully, asking God to show you what is true. Read it humbly, asking God to convict you of what is false in your heart. Read it searchingly, asking God to show you Jesus that you might believe, come to him, and find life. You know, I think if nothing else, the, the, the whole fake news thing of our day uh, shows that people believe what they want to believe. Uh, there are smart, intelligent people on both sides of almost every issue. And on both sides, people think that the other side is just so dumb. We think if they would only open their eyes and look at the facts, the world would be a better place. But the other side is not so dumb. It's just that people believe what they want to believe. Uh, Put differently, their presuppositions shape the way they interpret the evidence. As I quoted a few weeks back, uh, people don't live based on the facts, but they live based on their interpretation of those facts. And if I am more concerned about the approval of others than I am about the approval of God, I will listen to men rather than to God. What your heart desires shapes what your mind will believe. If you are here this morning and you are still questioning and wondering and doubting, let me ask, what stands in your way? What is stopping you from taking an honest look at what the Scriptures say? Uh, What prior commitments do you have that are threatened by the very idea of Jesus being who he said he is? Now, you might say, well, it's just time. You know, I just don't have time to read the scriptures. They're long, parts are boring, it seems like a waste of time. Well, let me say, a little time now will shape your eternity forever. It's worth it. Uh, You might say, well, it's it's all bunk. I've read the stories, I've been to church, Christians are just hypocrites, it's not worth my time. Again, let me ask, well, is it, is it possible that there could be more than you know? Is it possible that Christianity could be bigger and better than any one Christian presents it? If so, it's worth your time to figure that out. And you might say, well, I've been hurt by the church. I've been hurt by Christians. I've been hurt by Scripture used as a club. Well, let me apologize for that. I'm sorry that, that Christians have done that to you. We are not perfect but our Savior is. Don't dismiss Him because of how we have failed. Or you might realize, well, if this whole Jesus thing is true, my life is going to have to be different. If this whole Jesus thing is true, I don't belong to myself. If this whole Jesus thing is true, then what what will I have to lose? If this whole Jesus thing is true, everything is going to have to change. And that can be scary and, and, and threatening even. And let me say that our God is a loving God. He has proven his love in the cross. 
And Jesus says, whoever saves his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for Jesus' sake will find it. And then he went before us, and he lost his life at the cross and found it in the resurrection. He's not asking you to do anything that he has not done first. See his love. Hear his voice. Believe the testimony of the Father, and then come to Jesus and find life in him. Let's pray. Our Father, we pray that you would, that you would open our eyes to Jesus, that you would help us to receive the testimony that you have given in your word, that you have given in the works of Jesus, that you have given through the apostles as they recorded that down, as they wrote down the eyewitness testimony for us, that we too might see and believe. Help us by your spirit to that end. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.